I went to the grocery store, came back, was unpacking everything. And I said to myself, Calvin, you fucking idiot. You forgot the tortillas. And I paused and I thought I would never talk to a friend this way, a family member this way. I wouldn't talk to a stranger this way. Who taught me it was okay to talk to myself this way? Somebody taught me that. Some people taught me that. That was modeled to me somewhere, somehow. Hello, my name is Wing, and welcome to A Work in Purpose, the podcast for you to discover your purpose. Listen to stories of how people have found their purpose in life and get their insights on how you can find yours too. We all have an inner voice that repeats stories about ourselves over and over again. But what should we do if our inner voice happens to be our biggest bully, constantly keeping us down? How can we loosen its grip on us and instead cultivate self-compassion, self-love, and self-acceptance? Our guest this episode, Calvin Michael West, shed some light on how we can do just that. Calvin is a certified professional coach, healer, guide, teacher, activator, systems thinker, and dot connector. He shares his story of how he overcame his inner bully and found his purpose in helping others overcome theirs as well. Hello, Calvin West. Thank you for being a part of a Working Purpose podcast. Thank you for joining us. Wayne, thank you for having me. What a delight to be here. I would like to start by asking you, where would you say you are at on your journey towards your purpose? Have you found it? Are you working towards it? Living it? Where are you at? Great question. I am embracing the purpose that feels natural for me right now. I'm in my fifth career. I'm 39 years old. And if you'd asked me that question in other stages of my life, I would tell you a different answer. My purpose feels like it is continuously evolving as I am continuously evolving. And the way that I try to connect to that purpose is by listening to what feels easeful for me to do and bring the wisdom I've collected throughout my lifetime to each moment. I, I like to think about my purpose as like finding my own sense of self so that I can share that with others. And that could be personally, professionally, with a stranger on the street, you know, to myself and in respect to other people. So that's, it's always, it's always changing and that's kind of the beauty of it. Mm, yeah, it is. So what would you say is your current purpose? Yeah, good question. My current purpose right now is a few different things. One, I work one-on-one -on -one with folks in a coaching kind of healing capacity. And there, that work is primarily focused on helping to connect folks back to their own inner wisdom. So when we talk about just trust your gut, trust your instincts, well, if we have a lot of static noise getting in the way of what that is, how can we trust that? If we've had a lot of hardship and trauma and shit happen to us in our lives, 
And we've developed these strategies to cope with those difficult times. How can we really trust our gut when we have a lot of static noise in the way? A lot of us have been marketed to and conditioned that who we are authentically is not good. Something is wrong with us. We need to be different. We need to be fixed. And I think it takes time and patience and grace to embark on a journey to say, what if none of that is true? What if I am not a problem? What if I am okay just as I am? And there's a bridge that needs to be crossed between what feels more natural inside for me and how I can express that in a world that tells me, no, you can't do that. You can't be that. You can't have that. You can't want that. So how do we make sense of that world? And that's one of the things I really love helping people walk along on that journey with. I'm a firm believer that you are the wisest person about yourself. I cannot tell you what to do. I can only hold a container for you to have a safe space to start to ask these questions that can feel really scary to ask when we're by ourselves. They can feel really scared to ask when we don't have any other modeling of any other way to be. And what does it look like to have somebody in your court cheering you on and permissioning you to move through the world in a way that feels easier to you more naturally, but isn't necessarily in alignment with the messages you've been told about who you are? And I know that's kind of vague, right? So what does that look like practically? What does that look like? in you know the real world if you've been raised to put other people before yourself then as you get older those tools are going to start to show up for you in the workplace in your relationships in your hobbies all throughout any space that you inhabit but what if you actually want more time for yourself what if that is actually the voice inside of you, but your conditioning has taught you that that's selfish, that that's irresponsible, that that's greedy. We make these stories up about how we move through the world. Somebody taught that to us. And, and we heard it so much that we thought it was true, but we're out of balance in that way. We are giving more than we have. So how do we start to turn the dial back on how much we give and give to ourselves? How can we reframe the giving and put ourselves as a receiver of our own giving in a way that makes us feel a little bit more balanced in how we move through the world? So the idea isn't necessarily to swing the pendulum to the other side and say, I'm not giving to anybody. Although there may be a period of time where that's needed to create equilibrium. But what are some strategies in place? What does that look like practically for you? What are, what are the ways in which conversations can start to be had? So it sounds like your purpose is very interesting. I'm curious to find out how did you realize that that is your purpose? Did you have a aha moment? Or was there like a story or journey that you went through and now you look back and realize, yeah, that's my purpose. How did you land on that? 
I landed here because a crisis came my way. And many times we find ourselves in unexpected places because crisis came our way. I had a, a teacher one time tell me crisis means when we keep saying no to the invitations that are in front of us. And, and that's what happened to me. I think I have always had this curiosity about human behavior, about how we move through the world, about why people do what we do and how we do it. And my personal journey has had many different transformations and re-identifications. I'm trans, so I've had this evolution of getting to know myself in very different ways throughout my life. And then I found myself uncoupling from a 16-year relationship, and we had a business together for nine years, and suddenly my whole identity was shaken up. And I was living alone for the first time as an adult and looking for what that meant. Why did this happen? It was very unexpected. I didn't see this happening for the vision of my life. I thought I was already in my dream job. I thought I had created this life for myself that was more magical and meaningful than I ever dreamt possible. And the universe had a different plan for me and wanted me to explore using my gifts in another way. And as I started to reflect on, okay, what else makes sense for me? What comes naturally to me? What feels incredibly interesting to me that I could sink my teeth into day in, day out? finding something that would also allow me to make behavioral changes in my life became really meaningful to me. And so I set out on this several month journey to figure out what that could be for myself. And I know this is a long story, but I, I share this to articulate that generally we are the sum of the parts of our experiences. And what I knew to be true for me was that I, have, I had a history of being in jobs and in roles where I was the hero, where I was coming in to save the day, where I was giving significantly more than I had. And I could get into why I think that's true and why that patterning showed up for me. And I knew that in whatever I did next, I needed a job where I could have better boundaries, where I could make some changes in my life that brought me better balance. and. This felt so natural to me to be able to help folks, to be a mirror to people, to reflect back to people what they may already know about themselves or perhaps could benefit from a reframing of what they sense could be true. So what I love about this work is that I don't have the answers. I am not going to tell you how to solve your problems. What I can do is provide a container and a framework for how what isn't working for someone becomes illuminated. And then what are some tools, some strategies, some mindsets, 
some perspectives that help what happens after the realization, what happens after the commitment to want something different, what happens after the curiosity for something new. And how do we go from a place of what we knew to what is new, as one of my mentors likes to say. Hmm. Interesting. Let's unpack that a little bit. So what would you say is the first step for someone to get to the place that they should be ideally? Would you say it's like they have to cultivate self-acceptance as the first step? I mean, it's a great question, right? Because there's a lot of language out there that is around self-love and, you know, just love yourself, just trust yourself. But what if we don't know what that looks like? What if our upbringing, what if our relationships, what if our environment hasn't created a space where we have a clear picture of what that looks like, feels like, sounds like, behaves like? We got to get that from somewhere. And having a curious spirit and a curious mind is a fantastic tool. Being willing to try something new. One of the things I did for myself as a former overplanner, perfectionist, type A-ish personality, I would not try anything new unless I had a full plan. I wanted to know what the risks were. I wanted to know all the pieces. And I have found over the years that when we have that kind of need for control, and I'm gonna say rigidity, which might feel harsh to some people's ears, but I say that with compassion that we have been led to believe that rigidity is essential to our survival. These are strategies and tools that we have picked up because of our upbringing, because of our lived experiences. And at one time, they served us very well. They were essential for our survival. And what I like to do is help folks figure out what tools, strategies, approaches, perspectives are still in play that are not accurately reflecting their current reality. For example, I grew up on welfare and money was scarce. I have a lot of scarcity behaviors. And when I started to change my financial situation, even with having a savings account and having a little more comfortable finances, I was still behaving from a place of scarcity. I still saw resources as finite, including time, including love, including connection, not just finances. That's a really interesting, powerful awareness to have. And when I started to earn more money and I could see other people in my family were not, guilt came in. Mm -hmm. And then I got to unpack that and learn, oh, that's actually a form of survivor's guilt, which I previously had thought that was reserved for plane crashed and I'm the only one that survived and now I have survivor's guilt. But it can happen in other capacities. 
So my own quest to heal myself and get to know myself outside of my trauma, outside of my hardships, outside of my stress and anxiety and overwhelm, I got there by extending the compassion I gave to others to myself. Can you expand on that? That sounds fascinating. Yeah. I love talking about this so much because, you know, when people ask me like, hey, Calvin, you know, these are people close to my life. Like, yo, you know, a few years ago, you were behaving one way. Now you're behaving this whole other way and you seem to have so much more peace. How did you get there? One thing I deeply credit with getting there was having a compassionate tone of voice towards myself like I would to someone else. And when I started to recognize how I talked to myself and that I would never talk to anyone else that I loved like this, I really had to, you know, put myself in timeout and be like, yo, <laughs> what, what are you doing? So for example, I, this is a real life example. I, this is in the beginning of me just having awareness. And the first, the first, first part is just noticing noticing you don't have to act on it you don't have to behave on it it's just hey what am i seeing here i went to the grocery store came back was unpacking everything and i said to myself calvin you fucking idiot you forgot the tortillas and i paused and i thought i would never talk to a friend this way a family member this way i wouldn't talk to a stranger this way who taught me it was okay to talk to myself this way. Somebody taught me that. Some people taught me that. That was modeled to me somewhere, somehow. Mm -hmm. And I'm not responsible for that trauma, but I am responsible for my healing. That I have control over. That I can do something about. And then I began the slow, gentle, process of retraining my brain how to think in that way how to talk to me in that way so when i say this to myself you fucking idiot you forgot the tortillas again take a breath pause literally say to myself hey buddy we don't talk like that anymore here come back and try again <laughs> what else do you have oh right yeah okay we don't talk like that right okay Calvin, you forgot the tortillas. Where's your head at, buddy? What do you need? What's going on? Why are you distracted? So now I'm being curious with myself. I get to check in with myself about where I am, what's happening, what may have led to me being distracted at the grocery store. Am I on my phone? You know, am I just tired? There doesn't always have to be a reason, but I'm giving the parts of myself that need some attention, a moment to show up, to make their needs known. And that's kind of the next layer of that. So we can get curious with ourselves about what's going on. And then when some of that static noise is out of the way, and I'm going to name me saying, you fucking idiot, as static noise, right? That creates a feeling in our body. Now we're agitated, we're judging ourselves, we are name-calling ourselves, we're putting ourselves down. Our body's having a physical response. There's nervous system activation happening there. In addition to 
fuck, now what I'm going to do for dinner because I don't have an ingredient I need. So now I have to pivot, right? So there's like so many layers of stuff that goes on for us. And if we take the bullying out, if we take out our own self-bullying and we replace that with compassion and curiosity, one experience at a time in our day, it's like training a muscle. And then that becomes easier and easier and easier. But the noticing in the beginning is such a key part that brings the awareness to us of just how often we are being downright mean to ourselves. Mm. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's a very powerful story. So I'm very curious. So did you kind of realize that you were having these personal dialogues, talking negatively to yourself before or after you transitioned into from uh, female to male? That realization came within the last few years. And I've been living as a trans person for about 18 years now. Mm-hmm. So it took, you know, a really long evolution of having curiosity about like, this isn't actually working for me. And I don't know why, but I don't like talking to myself this way, but I don't know any other way. And I started to get these little trickles from watching my friends that have small children. And I would watch them teaching their kids how to walk or how to eat or how to do small children learning how to do things, you know, just that process. And I watched the sweetness. I watched the the gentleness, the patience, the like boundless love that I saw these adults displaying to these kids. And I thought, why can't I give that to myself? Of course I can. Like, is this an approach that could work for me? And when I started to put this in practice, then it kind of clicked for me like, oh, this is what people talk about when they talk about reparenting themselves. And I had enough interest in healing and, you know, I'm going to do self-help in air quotes because I have a lot of thoughts about that as an industry. And I just, you know, there's a lot of headlines out there and a lot of people that throw these sentences around that are related to reparenting, trust your gut, you know, just love yourself. It's about self to self. Then you can't love anyone else until you love yourself, which I have a lot of thoughts about that statement too. And this to me feels like the practical ways that we can do that. And I started to think, at what age did society decide that as adults, we are just supposed to know everything? At what age did it become problematic to learn a new thing? When a child is learning to walk and they fall, we do not admonish them. We celebrate them getting back up. Okay, can I apply that to myself? Can I extend that to the people around me? Can I embody that for myself? If I'm choosing to bully myself with this language, can I choose to have compassion for myself instead? And what I found was I can. Now look, I'm not saying that I never say mean things to myself. I, you know, I am not a monk on a mountaintop, but I have awareness of it. 
And when it comes, I, I know what it feels like in my body to receive that language that's actually hurtful. And then I can recalibrate for myself. So that's like a yeah, practical example of how we can show up for ourselves in new ways. And when we do that, we actually change the energetic frequency of what we're putting out into the world. When we can extend more kindness and compassion to ourselves, we can do that to others. And we can show up in the world a little differently than we did the day before. And that's the awesome part. Magic, when I started to embody that, magic just started showing up all around me in new ways that I couldn't have imagined. Mm, like what? For example, I would have less road rage. And what that meant was that by the time I got to my destination, I was more peaceful. I would just move through my day with a little less frustration, with a little less of that feeling of just grinding against myself. And when we can pull one by one these things out of our ecosystem, we start to find we breathe a little better. We breathe a little easier. We laugh a little louder. We laugh a little longer. We smile a little more sweeter. We can find simple pleasures in life a little easier because we are not weighed down by these doses of hardship we're giving to ourselves. I'm not saying everything that happens in our life we're giving to ourselves and that we are responsible for how easy or hard our lives are. There's a lot of institutions and systems and dynamics at play that create a lot of dynamics for people. So I want to be really clear about that. But it is about looking at the areas that we actually do have control over. And we have more control over things than we think we do. And that took me a really long time to get to know and experiment with and to start to step out of a primary mindset of surviving and into this place called thriving. I didn't even know that was possible for me given my childhood and my upbringing and, and you know, just my life experience, right? So. Did you feel like you have to grow up to be a fighter at all times? We're in like com combating mode? Yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. And I think part of that is growing up. I spent the first 21 years of my life being female presenting. And there's all kinds of dynamics and, and systems at play there. And then going through the process of transitioning into male and the bureaucracy and the institutions and the laws and all these systems that show up there. And look, I stepped into the privilege of being a white man. I went from the privilege of being a white woman to the privilege of being a white man. And while I am a trans man, I am still perceived in the world as a white man. And the world treats me differently. There's a noticeable change between experiences I had as a female perceived person and who, and you know what happens for me today. 
So I, I, I understand that. It's also part of why doing this work is so beautiful for me because I've been, I've had the privilege of understanding what life experiences are from a few different places. I mean, look, the bathroom etiquette alone between traditional female bathrooms and traditional male bathrooms is like enough to have a whole podcast about. <laughs> but also working with different communities, different groups of people, there's something human about our experience. And those are the things that interest me in addition to the systems that are at play. Yeah. I'm kind of curious to learn more about, hear more about your transitional journey and how that relates to this more recent discovery journey that you've had over the last few years of self-acceptance. Because when, I, I would imagine that before you transition or during the transition, you had to battle with a lot of, you know, self-acceptance conflicts. And then after you transition and then to continue having these sort of internal conflicts in your mind for many, many years, like what was that journey like for you? Yeah. I mean, this is such a beautiful question. And the reason being is that when I started transitioning almost 20 years ago, we didn't have a framework for gender that is as mainstream as it is today. Back then, the idea of using a non-binary pronoun like they or them or any other pronoun outside of he or she was so radical and was such a hurdle to endure that many of us chose the path, and not everybody chose this, but many of us chose the path of embracing core characteristics and features and behaviors of the gender we were seeking to align with. And what I, what I mean by that, just a little bit more bluntly, is I wanted to do what I could to be seen as male as quickly as I could. That for me felt like who I was at the time. And some of that was necessitated by safety. Being a queer person in certain communities is, is literally unsafe and also can feel very unsafe. I prioritized doing what I thought was necessary for me to feel safe and also exploring what felt genuinely and authentically me. And I'll give you an example. I am five foot two and I have a relatively small frame. When I started growing facial hair, I was quickly being recognized as male and people would use male pronouns with me. And I shaved my beard off and I started getting female pronouns and being what felt to me at the time as misidentified. So I grew my beard back. I didn't actually really check in with myself to say, do I want a beard? Do I want facial hair? It became a necessity for me to have the world around me reflect my identity back to me in a way that felt aligned for me. So I love this question because the choices and decisions that I made as a 22, 23, 25, 30-year-old 
they were based on the information that I had at the time. And I did the best I could with the information I had at the time. And I would say that's what we're all doing. We're all doing the best that we can. And then we learn more information or something shifts for us and then we get choices around what we do from there. And I pulled a lot of inspiration, drive, compassion, dedication, and strength from my gender transition. When I was really thinking about what does my life look now, uncoupling and not having this business of my dream, you know, that I thought was of my dreams at the time. And I just, I just thought, if I can do that, I can do this. And recognizing that I do have the strength to do hard things was a really important piece for me to draw from. And I love being able to help other folks see where their wells of strength are, where their past experiences have taught them something they can leverage in their current situation and make those connections so that they can see their own inner strength. Where would you say you land now in terms of how the, the younger you would seek out these external validations and to where you are today? Like how important is that anymore? And where do you get that sense of validation from or where should we get it from? Yeah, it's a real balancing act because we are social creatures that need and desire a sense of belonging. And the way we're taught to identify, give and receive belonging really shapes how we move through the world as an adult. And if we're in an environment, I mean, I know you asked the question about me, which I will answer, but if we're in an environment where the people around us do not respect who we're trying to be, how we're trying to express ourselves, then we don't have that safety to really experiment with who we are. And when we don't have that safety, we can't check in with ourselves to say, do I like who I am right now? Do, I'm trying this on. Does this feel good? Am I in alignment with, with how this feels to me today in this moment? So it did take get going into some isolation. It did take reevaluating who is in my life and why. And what things genuinely excite me or, or bring me joy. And, you know, not everything can excite us and bring us joy because adulting sucks sometimes. It's just fucking hard. But do I like how I'm showing up in the world? Am I showing up in the world? And am I, I mean, this is just a real part of my journey, which is that coming from a place of scarcity, I would often make decisions or do things for people because I thought if I'm in a situation where I'm down and out, you'll help me. And going through, you know, that's really codependency. And so going through understanding what is codependency? What's my personal brand, my personal flavor of codependency helped me see, oh shit, 
I'm actually behaving in ways that are like the definition of manipulation, even though I didn't know that's what I was doing, but I was doing it to ensure future safety for myself. So I get to take a step back now and say, I've been invited to help with something. Do I actually want to do that? Am I doing that because I think my reputation is on the line? Am I doing that because I think that there's a friendship that might require this? Okay, well, that's interesting. Let me unpack that. What does that look like? So I get to think about what are the choices that I'm making. And I get to do that through the lens of saying no doesn't make me selfish. Saying yes doesn't make me selfish. Saying no to the things I thought I was going to do today doesn't make me lazy. It doesn't make me a loser. We create these stories for ourselves about why we do and do not do the things. But what actually does my body need? What's actually in the best interest of me? And not from a narcissistic, selfish place, but from a place of when I care for me, I also care for you. So when you see someone like a friend who is still in that sort of survival mode where they don't feel safe externally, but in reality they are, but they still have that going on the inside. How do you kind of help them see or help them reevaluate how they talk to themselves? For this, I first want to start with a word and a definition. Okay. We hear a lot about the word trauma. We hear about big T trauma, which is like big shit that happens to us. And we're hearing about little t trauma. And I like to think about some of these experiences in the frame of overwhelm. So trauma can also be defined as overwhelm, which is essentially more information or stimulation is happening to us than our bodies, hearts, minds, spirits, gut, all of that can handle. Mm. And it stores in our body. And one of the ways that we can do really powerful healing work and address trauma, big T, little t, overwhelm, is to recognize that what happened to us in the past is not happening to us in the moment. The brain is a very beautiful machine, but it has a couple of bugs. And one of the bugs is that it replays experiences that happened to us over and over and over again for a few different reasons. One of those reasons is to try to get closure, to try to get an ending, to try to make the pain go away. It, it actually wants reality to be different than it was. And the other reason is to show us, hey, remember this fucked up thing that happened? Well, it can happen again if you don't watch yourself, if you don't be careful. It thinks it's helping us in these two ways of continuing to show us the trauma. And then our nervous system is also in concert with that. So the work becomes around unpacking and really getting at the heart of what are we trying to protect? What are we trying to avoid? What do we think is going to happen? What are the stories that we're telling ourselves about the situation? 
are we actually trying to control the outcome here? Do we have an expectation about what's happening? And largely or often, we get a lot of information in that process. We learn a lot about ourselves in that process. And depending on what comes up, we can give ourselves the healing that we need so that that trauma, that overwhelm gets resolved. In nature, animals have a very efficient way of releasing energy and releasing trauma that they no longer want. If they happen to get away from a perpetrator, their muscles will spasm and shake. And they'll do that until all the energy of that experience, all the trauma of that experience is out of their system. Because if they were to be bogged down by fear of that happening again, they're much more likely to die because they can't be totally present in the situation that's now. They're gonna be in a situation that happened before. The beautiful part is, we're not trying to cleanse ourselves from this overwhelm. We're not trying to pretend like it didn't happen. We wanna take the wisdom we can from it and let the emotions and the nervous system reaction melt away. So I like to think about it as like, if each traumatic thing that happened to you was a book in a library or a book on a bookshelf, like they're there, you know they're there. You can revisit them for the wisdom that they offer anytime. But that's not the book you're reading now. You're reading a new book now. So bring the wisdom from the past forward, but not necessarily the expectations, the outcomes, the predictions, and the emotions and the nervous system complexities that come with it. And I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but I I do this because I think I do this because I think that we can trick ourselves into thinking that healing is so hard and it, and it can be very hard. It can also be so liberating and so beautiful. And there's a lot of low hanging fruit out here that we can give ourselves. And, you know, capital T trauma, and I would say chronic lowercase t trauma have their own special process and containers that need to be held around those. And so I'm not trying to minimize and say, healing trauma is so easy, everybody can do it. But I am saying there's lots of patterns and strategies and behaviors that we carry with us every day. And we can start to allow those to fall away with some energy, some curiosity, and some trust that what we find is not going to cripple us. Wow. So let's say someone is ready to put back the book full of trauma and to, they want to pick up a new book where they can like go on a journey to live out their full potential and purpose. What would the first few chapters say to them for them to start this journey? Right. If I was going to put some chapters in this book, my first chapter would be around self-forgiveness. And when I talk about that, what I mean is having the grace and compassion to look back at your younger selves. And that can be your yesterday self to your childhood self and say, you did the fucking best you could with what you had. 
and give love and support to those older versions of ourselves. It is very easy, tempting, and common for us with our today wise eyes to look back at our older selves and say, you should have done better. What were you thinking? Why did you do that? But the truth is, I believe we are doing the best we can in those moments. And even if we know at that time we had other tools we could have used, in the moment that we were in, those tools were not accessible. So we actually did still do our very best. And that feels like such a radical idea, but it's the same grace that we give to kids. Mm. I think another chapter that I'd have in the book is be curious, have a curious spirit. And that includes asking yourself, what stories am I telling myself about what's happening here? And sometimes we kind of make situations a little harder for ourselves because of the stories we tell ourselves. And I'll give you a real life example. I'm currently dealing with some health issues. I recently got diagnosed with SIBO, which is small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And it is requiring a major lifestyle change for me. I have historically had the diet of a toddler with a sippy cup full of vodka. And those ways of moving through the world are mm. not in my best interest if I want to stay alive. So I am reckoning with the fact that I've never really needed to know how to cook. I didn't grow up cooking a lot of foods in my home, particularly being in poverty. We ate a lot of the same foods that would last and stretch for long periods of time. And then as I started to get into the workforce, I worked many, many hours and relied on delivery and maintained that kind of lifestyle for decades, really. And I went into this place of feeling embarrassed about not knowing how to cook at 39 and had a lot of stories around how am I going to make this lifestyle change when I don't know how to cook and I don't like a lot of foods. I have some texture sensitivities. I have some taste bud sensitivities. And I started to feel incredibly overwhelmed and restricted by this change. And... I went into a pretty dark place actually for several days. Started to get into research, got overwhelmed by all this conflicting research. And then in my darkness of dark times, I wasn't eating enough because I didn't know how to cook. And I had all these stories that were in my way of actually showing up for myself. My body was undernourished for many days in a row. I was highly dysregulated. I was my moods were very destabilized. I started to have some panic attacks, which is not common for me. And in that really, really dark place, and again, right, food is survival. That is how we stay alive. So I am like deeply, deeply triggered by this event. And it was in that place that I thought, you know, I did some coaching on myself and I started to write down all the stories I was telling myself. And what do those stories mean? And the first story that came to me was, I don't know how to cook. What does that mean? I'm going to starve to death. What does that mean? I'm going to die. I mean, these are the thoughts in my head, right? 
Mm-hmm. And this is to show like, I am not a monk on a mountaintop. <laughs> I am on my own journey still as well. And I thought to myself, are these actually true? Okay, let me make a list of all the things I can't cook. Oh, I can cook more things than I thought. They may not be things I can continue to eat, but it shows me that I have skills. Okay, well, what else can I do? What else can I do? So when I start unpacking these stories, then I can see, holy shit, I have given so much power to a story that is actually false. It may feel true, but it is factually inaccurate. Hmm, interesting. How did you, what's, what's like a good technique to take a step back and reanalyze your story? Mm, yeah, my friend and also intuitive channeler, uh, Bryn taught me this. She said, observe, don't absorb. And I use that mantra all the time. And what that means is, can we observe the feelings that we're having, the discomfort? Can we observe what stories are showing up, what our brain is telling us, without absorbing the entire hurricane of feelings that are there? So it's, put, it's a way to put a little distance between what the brain is showing us and what the body believes it needs to do because of what the brain is showing us. And here's another way I think about that. If you go to Google because you are searching for something, you type in what you're searching for, you hit enter, you get a bunch of search results that come up. If you click on the first one, and that's the only thing you look at, you're going to have one small view of the whole picture. And that's often what we do with our brains. Our bodies have a physical response. Our brain has to put an image to that to complete the circuitry there. We believe the first thing that the brain tells us. We think that's the truth. The end. I can't cook. I'm going to starve. I'm going to die. Okay, well, what else is there? What other information is there for us? And that requires sometimes some stillness and some time to look at everything else that's showing up. And the brain is one source of intelligence for us. Our heart has its own intelligence for us. Our gut has its own intelligence for us. And most of us are brain dominant. Our cultures and our societies have rewarded that. They've conditioned us to do that. And for those of us that have a lot of pain, we've turned the volume on our heart down to survive, understandably so. How else are we going to make it through tough-ass situations if we don't turn the volume down on that pain? And our gut has its own intelligence. There's a lot of research and evidence showing trauma correlations to gut health. So I'm not surprised I find myself in this situation where my gut is saying, yo, we can't do this anymore. We need a new way. And so when we can be curious about what that new way can look like, what that new way can feel like, when we trust that it's okay to try something new, when we can extend compassion to ourselves, for the trying, for that experimentation, it's amazing what we're capable of giving to ourselves. That's great. 
let's say the, the person reading that book is towards the end of the book and he's worked through or he or she worked through all of those chapters on cultivating that self-acceptance and self-love and rewriting more positive narrative internally. And the last chapter would be about self-actualization. What would be in that chapter? You are enough. As you are, you are enough. As you do, you are enough. And it is my belief that we're all here on our own journey to learn our own lessons and to do that in a good way as we stand shoulder to shoulder with our neighbor. And when I mean a good way, I don't mean good versus bad. I mean with kindness and compassion and respect for others. I think so much of what I've had to unlearn in my own journey and what's at the foundation of what I help people work through is that sense of enoughness. And I think that's in large part because of here in America, at least, and I know this is true in other countries, but the way that we're marketed, who we should be, what beauty looks like, what health looks like, what success looks like, what sexiness looks like. And we get these messages from all different areas of our lives that who we are is not enough. So coming to terms with that, allowing that to be true for ourselves is a fucking radical idea. When I do this thing, I'll be good enough. When I get to this thing, I'll be good enough. If I can just fill in the blank, I'll be good enough. I'll feel better about myself. And what does it look like to feel better about yourself with right where you are now? Knowing every day is a work in progress. Knowing every day is a discovery about who you are in a new way. What drives you? What excites you? What doesn't work for you? Knowing that something doesn't work for you is as beautiful as knowing what does work for you. It's information. It allows you to make choices. It allows you to be in choice, which is a place of power for yourself. So would you say that it's the journey that matters more? Not the, don't, even worry, don't even worry about the destination or this whole idea of working towards your purpose, but to just enjoy the journey and accept that, hey, this is me, I'm on this journey and um, perfectly satisfied. I yeah, I mean, I think having the idea of a destination can be really useful. I think also being open to how you get there and what that journey actually is, is where the magic can come in. And for yeah. so many years of my life, I felt very attached to the vision of my life, the vision of each moment of my day, if I'm being honest. And when I started to loosen that grip up, so many magical things that I couldn't have even imagined came into view for me. I kind of zoomed out and said, all right, universe, what, what do you want to bring here? You know, what, what wants to happen next here? And I made life very, very hard for myself for my coworkers, for my partner, my previous partner, for other people in my life, because I was so 
dedicated to certain visions happening a really particular way. And what I have found and continue to find in my life today is by getting out of the way, I'm actually able to see things I could never have dreamed of. Mm. In life, life is a little sweeter. Life has more magic. Life has more joy and surprise. And I'm finding myself being less frustrated by life, less flustered by life. I'm not at zero frustration, by the way. I'm not at zero anger. But I am reducing how often I stay in that cycle. And that's the beautiful part. Mm, because you detach yourself from like an end goal or a stuck vision for where things need to go. Why? Exactly. Because I want to be open to all kinds of possibility. Now, we get into some sticky territory here with that because the far end of the pendulum there is I'm just going to go where the wind takes me and have no responsibility for my life. And I'm not advocating for that either. Mm -hmm. I think there's a beautiful way in which, you know, if we, if we look at leaves and branches on a tree, when the wind blows, it goes where the wind takes it, but it is anchored to that tree. It understands that there is a purpose there and an ecosystem there and some structure around that. And so getting to experiment with, you know, and I've certainly done this, like not asked the million questions I've had about somebody's gathering that I normally have and all these things that I felt like I needed to do to feel safe. And hashtag Calvin comforts is an actual thing in my friend circle because I would tend to bring so many things with me to feel comfortable in any situation. And oftentimes there are things that other people enjoy. My previous life was as an event and experience designer. So I, I often bring things that enhance an experience, but if they're just for me so that I'm not in discomfort, you know, there's another great example around, I had a lot of shame around that. People would make fun of me like, oh, Calvin's brings all this shit, better make more room in the car. You know, these kinds of comments would make me feel very embarrassed about my needs. And when I stopped giving those comments a bunch of power in my life, when I stopped saying, hey, I'm gonna put their comments about me above my own needs. And I just started owning that a little bit more. Life got a little easier for me, right? Like I just, I didn't take those comments as personally. It doesn't mean that they don't hurt sometimes. And it doesn't mean that sometimes it's easier for me to practice that than others. But those are some of the ways in which I feel like we end up feeling trapped in who we are because we're spending most of our day trying diligently to be what other people want us to be. And there's a shit ton of reasons why we do that. And a lot of them have very rational, understandable roots but they don't serve us anymore and we can let them go. We can find new ways of moving through the world that do align with who we are. Yeah, wow, this is great. I wish uh, we had more time to go into <laughs> all the other topics I wanted to talk about, but since we are running out of time, I would like to go to a lightning round. I'm just gonna ask you a bunch of short rapid fire questions. You can answer them as short as you want. So you ready? Yeah, let's do it. 
All right. What is one thing you like to do to relax? Listen to music. What's one thing you like to do for fun? Play games with my friends. And what is one thing that makes you enthusiastic? I'm having a hard time picking one thing. When I learn something so unexpected. Interesting. What is one habit you always do for a great day? Oh, man, that's such a rotating list. And you're asking me these questions at a really interesting time because I'm literally revamping my whole life right now because of my gut health situation. So, So what that looks like for me today is meal planning, which is a new skill I'm learning at 39. Wow, that's great. You're cooking yourself, right? Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. What is one habit you're working on? Watching TV right before I go to bed. To do that more or, or not to do it? To do that less, yeah. To, to remove that from my, like, immediately before I go to bed routine. Mm, yeah, that's a good one. I'm working on that too. <laughs> what is the most important lesson you've ever learned? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Oh, this is... So my Nana, my Nana told me this when I was 12 and it would take me two decades to really understand what she meant. But she said, if you don't have any expectations, you can't be disappointed. And as a 12 year old, what I heard was, if you don't have any standards. And it would take me two decades, maybe longer, to to understand that when we have expectations of something, which is different than standards. So standards are, this works for me, this doesn't work for me. Expectations are about control, in my opinion. So when we have those expectations, we open ourselves up to disappointment because we cannot control the outcome when others are involved. Yeah. Have you seen the, the newest Spider-Man movie? I have not. That, that quote that you just said was repeated Throughout the whole movie. What? You have to watch it. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So ha- I haven't seen it. I don't, I don't think I've seen the last handful of Spider-Man movies, actually. So. Mm. Yeah, I just watched it on Monday. So okay. so funny that you said the exact same quote. Wow. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. But what is a book that changed your life? Okay, a book that changed my life is called The Courage to Be Disliked. Oh. And if audiobooks work for you, I highly encourage doing this as an audiobook because it's a conversation between two people mm-hmm. and there's i think a beautiful way to experience the book in that way and it gives a lot of really practical tips it's essentially like an older philosopher having a conversation with a younger kid and they challenge each other on ideals and and beliefs and ways of moving through the world but it it for me, gave me so much permission to be myself. It helped me understand boundaries in a way that we don't talk about in popular culture. And I mean, so many nuggets, which I know we're out of time, so I'm going to leave it there. But that I will be offering a book club for that book that you can find on my website because I think it's so powerful. Yeah, I'll definitely look into that. Thank you. If you are not doing what you are doing today, what would you be doing instead? I would be making music. And I don't play a single instrument (laughs) or know how to make any kind of music at all. But I love 
music, finding music, making playlists. It's a huge hobby of mine and I'd want to create my own music. Mm, great. And what is your ideal life like? My ideal life has a foundation of living in each moment with less judgment and more acceptance and ease. Sounds great. How do you define purpose? I guess I would define purpose by this intersection of passion and drive and dedication and boundaries. Mm, boundary. Interesting addition to that. Yes. Thank you. Uh, lastly, do you have any requests you would like our listeners to do? Consider the idea that being gentle with yourself is an act of action. For many of us, when we find that a thing isn't working or we feel like we need to do something, our inner action maker persona shows up and we can spin ourselves into the doing, into the fixing. And I think I would love for anybody that feels like this resonates for them to experiment with what gentleness can look like as a form of action for you in your own healing journey. Yeah, love that. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Calvin, for being a part of this podcast. Where can people find you? Yeah, thanks for having me, Wing. You can find me at inhealingwetrust.com and also on Instagram, inhealingwetrust, although I am not super active, but that may change in the future. And I do have like a lot of projects coming out that I think will bring some good momentum to that and some more content to that. So it looks a little stale now, but that won't be true forever. And yeah, I welcome questions, thoughts, anything folks have. Great. Yeah, I'll be sure to include all those links in the show notes. Well, thank you for sharing all your insights and stories. That just has been very insightful and very inspiring. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Wayne. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode with Calvin Michael West. I hope his stories and insights spark you to re-examine the stories you tell about yourself and perhaps see if you may have a much better story waiting for you to uncover. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this podcast, I encourage you to subscribe, tell your friends about it, and check out the past episodes. I hope your present moment, now and forever, be filled with light, love, and joy. Until next time, this is Wing, and thank you for listening to A Work in Purpose.